Yes. Welcome, y'all, to another Bangover podcast. Uh, another anniversary episode. Yes, you got it right. Nirvana's in utero. Uh, I would like to say we've been waiting to do this album. It wasn't something that was like... I was super excited because we all know how like overblown Nirvana could be at times. But uh, just going back and listening to it again, I'm just like, fuck, man, this is my favorite Nirvana album. Like, from start to finish, uh, the first song is what we just listened to, Serve the Servant. And you could tell, like, for me, that song right there, I'm like, oh shit, we're about to get into it, you know? <laughs> and I fucking absolutely adore this album. I love Nirvana. Uh, some of the things I was just not happy is just how everyone around us, even our radio stations, just like holds this band into this such high degree. And uh, like Kurt Cobain's some messiah <laughs> and this whole weird idea of what they think that this was all about. And it makes me fucking sick. It makes me sick as like Kurt was, like, you know, when he had to deal with this shit. It, am I the only one that feels that way? Where it's like, yes, I know, Nirvana. And just if someone's like boasting uh, okay. about it or just... How about those Kurt Cobain shirts? Oh, okay. Just Kurt Cobain. I, I, I it's like, have fuck a thing to say. Fuck. I think, I think a thing to say about this. It's, <laughs> it's this the reputation kind of just preceding yes. what they really were, you know. And I think this album is a good, uh, good point in their history where it's like conflicting because they just hit success with Nevermind and then wanted so to take like, it away just, yeah. in some ways, just like strip. Shit like down. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to yeah, make that. I don't want to be clean. Yeah. I don't want to be commercially like. Uh, like sound wise you know like uh, just you could sell it so easy to someone this is a little bit dirtier and harder to sell to the mainstream the general public uh, songs like Rape Me <laughs> I mean right there what the album was kind of intended to be called because it was all just this kind of like fuck you to the music industry um, I hate myself I want to die you know what I mean uh, that was cut because of you know maybe the song title or <laughs> Just those words put together. Um, I don't know. Um, it's everything about this album is dirty, grungy, uh, noise, uh, feedback. It's everything that Nevermind was. Not. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, please, um, your your opinions before right. I rant too far. No, I just say you're talking about in the beginning, in the, be in the in the what you just said about. All the things about Kurt Cobain. I was just uh, saying earlier and uh, yesterday about how I was so growing up in Washington, it was kind of Nirvana was so big. Um, after Kurt Cobain died, um, people who were into the into music, into the Seattle music scene, it was like divided in two camps. It was like you either like worshipped like him as an idol and continued on with that mindset, or you staunchly avoided it. Like it was like. You don't, like, too, it's too, too big. Cool. It's too big. It's like yeah. somebody's like, "What's your favorite band?" You're like, "Oh, Nirvana." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, is it really Nirvana?" Because everybody else standing around in the same group but, of people. But that sucks. Band yeah. Is yeah, but that sucks. It sucks too. It, it could yeah. be. Yeah. No, no. It, it totally could be. Why not? Could be. This is a band totally that could be, be someone's it was, favorite band. It was considered kind of why. like like but with, when you're growing up and you're listening to music and somebody's like, "Oh, my favorite band is this," and it's like one of the biggest bands of all time. Well, of course. We got the same shit down here in Austin. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that was like during the. Like 2004, 2005, where it was like the box set came out and his fucking journal came out. And yeah. Then, 
But his journal came out, and then so well, heavier much, than heavy you know, came they're out. They're making so much money from his estate and his mm-hmm. music at this time, and the whole Courtney Love uh, going back to fucking uh, court battle with the rest of the band over this stuff. That was ridiculous. Time and time again, you know, it's ridiculous uh, all the way around. The story is fucking ridiculous once you get into it. Um, Chris, for you, as far as this album, this album. I mean, I think it's it's maybe not my favorite. It's up there with like you know. Not your favorite. I don't know. Some of my favorite songs <laughs> are fuck. some of my favorite songs are on it, but I don't think it's my favorite album. I almost feel like I love Bleach? all of them equally. Hey, Bleach yeah. is great. That's what I mean. I, I'd say I think Bleach is great. I think Bleach just because it is like the rawness, and then this album comes like up close because of that rawness. Yeah, you know, I just like, like Dave Grohl a little bit more than Chad. Chandler. Well, here, let me. <laughs> what was his name? I want to touch on this note Chandler? really quick from because we were just saying how Bleach is great. So you have to remember, like, they released albums almost back-to-back, like, two, one and two years in between. That's how bands did it back in the day. You had a, well, you had a label, okay. you had to keep pushing they, every year. They you know formed I mean? in 87. They released Bleach in 89. They go on tour that year. Like, it's just... It's fucking luck. And they're kids. They're, kids. they're like... So Kurt and um, Chris met in high school but they didn't actually like know each other and then they actually became friends uh, because they had the same they were practicing in the same space as the melvins and kurt met chris and was like hey do you want to come play with me and he's like no i don't want to do that like they didn't really like kurt cobain and he was like well here's my demo tape of he had this project called fecal matter and then Chris didn't actually listen to it until three years later. And as soon as he listened to it, so this is now 87. As soon as they listened to it in 1987, he's like, yeah, I want to start a band with you. And then they released Bleach two years later. I can see why he kind of didn't like Kurt. It's snarky, <laughs> dirty, weird. Dirty, yeah. dirty grunge kid. I, I, can, I get a sense of his personality grunge. a little bit. Mm-hmm. like uh, Because we've, we've listened to all the fucking, um, you know, the documentaries we, we watched them we read the books when we were kids like if justin was here he would tell you like i got them all on my shelf right now it's just poster after you know fucking rare fucking cut singles and demos that he owns because it was just like i fucking love this band yeah but overall you start to get an idea of like kind of like Kurt Cobain's personality and like his sense of humor and a lot of this was kind of like you don't know what is real and what is fake because of the things he would just he he makes shit up all the time. It's just kind of like he thought it was funny, you know. He's like, is this funny? Just making up some crazy story, like um, that mentally handicapped girl that he tried to have sex with and then was embarrassed because everyone found out about it. But like Buzz said. Buzz O'King from the Melvins, like, I've never even heard that story. I feel like he just made that shit up because he would have said something back in the day, you know what I mean? Mm. And when he got ridiculed like a motherfucker about it. I feel like it was from also like a rise out of people. I, I really believe that too. So a lot of this he stuff. He would do is extreme like, shit. Yeah. Like, what I was saying. The stories that you hear, you just don't know yeah, like what is real and what is not. That's in his journal. I was talking was about true. a while ago was like he used to paint paintings and try to sell them, and people would question like this weird, like, glossy finish on the top of it and it was his cum see like, I don't know if semen. that's a real story but it either. is it's, it's in his journal I mean he talks about it in his journal like he <laughs> used to come on his paintings his journal is fucking just like I don't know just, some I mean, of it maybe, maybe that's addict. the maybe heroin that's the mystery addict. and the alert Jesus but this is before that yeah, this is when he was like a kid early yeah, this is when he's like 16, uh, running I away from home, like, sleeping yeah. at a bridge. And by the way, in that part of the state, it's really hard to be homeless. It's really cold. 
it's super damp and wet you get you can get sick really easily like that is not a not a good place to to run away to run away to to sp- no <laughs> should have got a fucking bus dark. ticket down it was to an LA. old logger town oh god yeah by the way i'm from there and i love that state thank right. you for watching uh, <laughs> obviously scott allen here uh chris myers our producer and super fan but more maybe an expert today yeah. uh bria bill because bria where are you from I'm from Washington, but I grew, I, I'm, in <laughs> I'm in Washington, but I grew up three hours north of Aberdeen. It's the first time you didn't want to talk about it in great length. Okay. How you're from Washington. But yeah. Okay. No, it's not that it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not that I'm an expert or anything. I can just understand the biggest thing that I do understand about Nirvana and why I feel like it still has such a presence there is because the way that the muse, that type of music is really panders to the way that the weather is honestly like it is dark it is that, crunchy, yeah. it is dirty it is depressing like that's why there's still a heroin problem there like it is you have to just permanently live in gray you have to just get some vitamin d you know like get that, some okay so have you guys vitamins. have you guys ever heard of sad it's called sad it's seasonal something disorder something it's about having to, like going through different seasons and having yourself be like it's depressed right. you can't you yeah. don't get the sun like you do here in texas i can kind of see that yeah, yeah. it's and just always or gloomy. you get too much sun and then you get orange. it's a different type of rock <laughs> and roll that we create yeah. from that yeah yeah so so i can only Sweaty imagine rock. being like 16 trying to live underneath the bridge that would be terrible in that area of the world damp always damp damn <laughs> uh, yeah I can definitely see where this music got created uh, and as well as um, a lot of uh, touring bands at this time would not go through Washington like there was no scene for anything so they would just skip over it seasonal so adjustment I, disorder that's oh, we got <laughs> sad it. got it you don't have to leave a comment um, but um, they were saying they were saying um the story is is like these bands mud honey the melvins mm. nirvana s- started creating music because there was no music coming through there so they had to create their own you know what i mean to have their own shows there so hence why there is a super amount of like just fucking like 50 i don't even know how many that i can count like just from this time frame of like well-known bands to this day mm-hmm. you know what i mean and now nothing Besides from like Macklemore, and that's about it. But like so many bands, because mm-hmm. they said one of the reasons was is that no touring bands went through. And then when they blew up, like to to this day, uh, Seattle's known for being a big music city. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it's because of this boom in music, yeah. and it's well, a little in rebellious a rebellion of Hendrix, the style but... at the time. You know what I mean? There was a lot of like, if it wasn't thrash metal, it was like hair metal and a lot of pop. So kind of stripping everything down and. This is how new scenes are created. People just get sick and tired of hearing the same shit, and it just, out of nowhere, a whole new type of sound, scene, um, movement, uh, a turning point in music altogether, you know? Especially with the uh, album Nevermind, it just tipped, and that's when everything just started flooding, you know? All these bands got signed because of it. It was like the corn incident where, like, Record producers were going out and signing these same type of bands because of the commercial success of Nirvana's Nevermind. Mm-hmm. So everyone got a fucking record deal, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though like bands like Mudhoney was around in 1981. Well, like that's when that band formed, you know? So when Nirvana first signed, they signed to Sub Pop, which everybody knows the name of now. They, Sub Pop was a... They're still a small indie me, label, right? No. I thought they really. just kind of stayed where they were like... 
Anytime they get something that's too no. big for them to handle, they kind of pass it off. Sub Pop, in the beginning, when Nirvana was first signed, and this is something that I can say growing up, and I'm just hearing all the things about Sub Pop, and I, I love Sub Pop, but this is the thing. So they first got signed to Sub Pop when Sub Pop was an independent, small label. Then they left years later, but um, a couple years later, actually. They were only signed to Sub Pop for like two or three years. Um, Sub Pop got big because of Nirvana and other bands like that being signed to them after. Um, now Sub Pop is much larger record label, but they still try to uh, like. They're like the, they, they the, still, the foot in the door for these bands. They like still they, want. That's, that's their, too, the yeah. perception like, yeah. is that they're still an indie label, so they are not opposed to signing small local yeah. artists. Modest Mouse, I mean, yeah. was on it, first got their start on Sub Pop. Yeah. I know the band Goat right but now, but they're which still is a very. Band. They became very yeah, controlling later. <laughs> like, yeah. I know some one of my friends was signed to Sub Pop, and then later on left because they were. They, Sub Pop became very controlling, mm-hmm. just like records label labels do. With more but, money, yeah, they kind of think they have an idea of where or what bands should sound like to make that next profit margin, if you will. Kind of sucks because it's yeah. like has nothing to do with how music is created yeah. at all. It's not about how much you could sell. It's about being free to create and left to your own devices, like what you can actually do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, uh, uh, in utero, I think it's kind of like that, where it's just like I have a bunch of money, so I can kind of be like, "Fuck you! I'll just pay for the whole that's album on, by myself." Go suck a dick. Stop well, that's touching on, me. That's on Steve's, record label hands. Steve's that idea. record that that. In Utero is off of DGC record label, which yeah. is what they signed you after, which is actually from uh, the advisement of uh, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. She was the one that talked to hmm. Kirk Cobain and said you should sign Probably had, record label. Well, Sonic Youth being such that, uh, you know, experimental band, I can kind of see, like, why, you know, they stayed with that record label, um, Sonic Youth, and why they would say, hey, you should sign to this because you're left to create your own music in a sense and not be held to a higher standard of like, I need another Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, <laughs> that kind of bullshit. But what was Steve's idea? Well, that was, that essentially was like Steve's kind of outlook. Like he wanted the band to pay for uh, it himself because the, he didn't want any of that intrusion from the right. record label. So like uh, in order to avoid that, he basically uh, suggested that all the band members use their own money to pay for the sessions, and that totaled about $24,000. And so that way they weren't owed to the label. It wasn't the label paying for the sessions, it was the band, so that way the label had no right to come in. You know, they, they cut them yeah. off financially in that sense. But then, like, also Steve kind of like worked another deal where he like got a flat fee of a hundred thousand dollars for his services yeah and he doesn't make any and he makes no royalties which is all. like his deal with every band which people could be like you're a fucking retard for doing yeah. but it was really that's not his idea when it comes to working with a band is like oh now i own a piece of this music it was always their music i'm just trying to help you capture it and he could have made half essence. a million dollars up to half yeah. a million dollars but again, that's not how yeah. Steve rolls, and if you know, that's just not who he is as a person. Um, damn it, I had like another fact in my head before I went on to that rant. Um, I just wanted to like point out, well, but I think hold on, uh, them paying for the album themselves—that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, 
it's like a just doing it yourself kind of paying for it to go in there and record these sessions like you're you're like again cutting out the middleman and having this huge like ability to do whatever you want and nothing with the record set that being said when it comes to distributing an album is where they can start fucking with them and be like you can't call things this you gotta yeah. take this off so mm-hmm. that's where we like lose some of the songs and maybe some of them um Names content. too. Well, yeah, what the, the, what the band said when I was reading is they, they agreed to record with him because they wanted a more. Oh, yeah. Uh, Steve they, is they, known well, for They that, wanted yeah. a more nu- neutral sound, is what they said. And the, the, and the underground changed. cred, apparently, or something like that. Oh, well, like, he had that. Oh, underground getting back to your that's cred. Yeah, that's what but I they like, wanted, yeah, they wanted to a keep, more to get back for to them to keep roots. their underground cred, they use a guy that's got really good underground cred instead of going to some highfalutin, you know. Yeah. Well, they also were record contacting um who was the other they were they were working with another I was wrong with the Slayer. It's Andy Wallace is who they were working with. Was the other mixer. He's the one that did uh he worked with Slayer. Oh. Oh, mm-hmm. we're, we'll we'll get there. No. We'll get no, there. No, I just said it. I was wrong with the Oh. The name. Oh. <laughs> so many names. Uh. Well, yeah, so they, they did, they went and they actually did work with Steve, but they started doing, like, other recordings with, um, let me find it, I had it in my notes. This was at the same time as Steve Albanese, who they were working with Andy Wallace, who worked with Slayer, that's what I was saying. Yeah, I, I believe we talked about that guy many of times on this podcast. Again, there's five Andy people Wallace. that engineer and <laughs> record every rock and roll album, and this guy's oh. one of them. And Dino. So it was Jack and Dino mm-hmm. and Steve Albini. They both were like cu- tapped to work on the album. They go to uh, um, who did I just say? And Al- uh, Steve Albini. Dino. And Dino. Yeah. They go to yeah. They go to Indino's how a place and do a few sessions there. Get some like just instrumental type stuff done, right. and then they like go and actually work with steve and steve was just like a whole circumstances of events because he didn't really even like contact them he didn't even really like the band he like (laughs) i don't know there's some well because all these bands all these people in the scene were just so fucking pissed about the whole smells like teen spirit thing i'm sure i mean again pointing to my shirt mud honey (laughs) You know, they were yeah. like, uh, you know, rock and roll, fame, money doesn't change everything. Yeah. What changes everything is Nirvana. And well, what's funny like about that is... Taking things and putting them on top of their fucking head. Is that they work with these people. There were so many bands before Nirvana that were doing the same thing. Let me, you know what I mean? Let me say one thing on this subject. So they work with these people and then um, they're still unhappy with the sound. And that's what I was kind of saying earlier is they, they were unhappy with the um, bass in All Apologies and Heart Shaped Box. And then they bring... Scott lit in and he right does that he fixes it and then they release the album and it's number one on billboard like I still it's the whole I, it's, I think the whole it's point. a it's an issue yeah. because it's it's they still want this underground yeah but it neutral, again it's too dirty and too dirty wacky sound. for them no but then maybe. they release it and it's number one on billboard well because they're Nirvana you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, he did come in and did polish. Well, that that this, was because we yeah, heard the, the polish the between. We were just listening the, to the Indino 2013 is more mix, raw. You know? It definitely it's like it's missing a lot of that. It's it's more 
roots nirvana stuff in and yeah. not using a lot of eq because eq is not your friend it's a last resort and that's how steve worked that's how these old guys worked in the scene when you're capturing this kind of noise rock you know what i mean to um portray like actual real feel and sound uh hence why the vocals sound so gritty and crackly at times in this but for other reasons too like pure emotion and again a, a crippling a uh, drug habit but uh, that being said, let's uh, move into another song because this is like my favorite song. It's just the funnest song in the album, in my opinion. But there's a lot of these songs, more so than there is the the Penny Royals or the Rape Me. There's a lot of these, uh, like Very hey. Ape, what we're about to listen to. Hey. <laughs> I know you picked that song. That's hey. third. forget how short that song is i love it so much <laughs> I, think we, I think we all forgot i like got up and you were like it's already over i was like oh i was just stretching oh fuck okay uh and we're back no, uh maybe we should have picked a different song but uh it's still my favorite song it's, still, it's, a, it's a fun song it's, it's, fun, it's a real fun song um this album's 26 years old today wow it does it seem that old or does it seem like it's younger it seems like it's still applicable today. Like I feel like, That's, and we've yeah, talked about kind of this before. Like it's almost, is like if somebody were to showing, release, yeah. if somebody were to release this album right now, like as a new band, like this, like, no, this it would still be people huge. would be like, yeah. Yeah. this is great. Well, yeah. I believe I believe the sound's turning around now, and we're in dire need for the next rock and roll band. And there's we all these bands that are in Seattle uh, and like we, Los Angeles area that are really creating this we need new, new rock and roll psychedelic ish of, sound. Like, you know beach, what I mean? Yeah. Beach surf West Coast. We need like, we need another the Strokes, the Vines. We need something like that to where it's just like pure rock and roll, and like how Nirvana is just rock and roll. It's it it's has metal elements. It's very punk rock. It's very punk but rock. It's still just 
at the end of the day, it hits that crossroads where it's just like harder rock and roll, noise rock, you know, like you, there's subgenres, but it's just, you know, these songs are uh, written in well, such a very word, poppy way. Was the like, genre grunge even around before then? Like, I'm pretty it's, sure that that was not a thing that people attach that to. But there was so many bands before Nirvana. No, I'm not saying that. I'm be, just saying that I mean, that in the word. sense that we're playing this style of music. Uh, uh, Soundgarden being one of the very first ones to release mm-hmm. a full-length album with a fucking um, label in this scene, you know, Louder Than Love. That was their first album. That was the first thing that came out that was like, wow, one of these bands got signed and made some shit, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then it was like, I think it was just starting to ramp up, ramp up. And this is during the time where like uh, MTV is like killing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's early 90s MTV That's where you for get God's your sakes. music. Yeah. Music, so, television. Seeing this little <laughs> scene blow up and having these bands like, um, you know, Alice in Chains and fucking Soundgarden went to and my Pearl school, Jam. By the way. And it's just like, holy shit. It's just, you know, these bands, uh, this scene became on top of the world. It, uh, the fashion is still around today. You know what I mean? Oh, a God, lot of this no. stuff is still around today where it's just like, why, okay. why, why I'm just like, I'm taking you I back like to the Nirvana. homeland and you're going to see all the I fashion. I have so many Nirvana all shirts the, in my closet, all the but flannel. I can't really wear one because I kind of just feel like still it's so it. blown out, which is sad. I don't know why I feel that way. That it's like overdone because that's a really cool Nirvana shirt I have in there. God damn it, I should just wear it. I've never uh, seen you wear it. It's like, like <laughs> real thick prints where it's like heavy. It's a full picture shirt. So yeah. I, I just, it's kind of like that's one of the reasons I don't like to wear it either. But um, I'm getting off topic. We're talking about the shirts. That's why I wore the mud, honey. Hey, I have my Washington shirt on. I, I notice um, all surfers over there. Yeah, I don't and know. By the way, I just want to point out, I, I did mark on the... And if, I have if a, Justin was here, Melvin's. If you're just <laughs> listening to this, you can't see what I'm going to do. But I do have a Washington Show tattooed on, on the me. Camera. And I did mark... I did have a little pen Zoom mark. In. Zoom in. <laughs> Zoom I can show in. my shirt too where Aberdeen is. Boom. Seattle, Aberdeen. It's we very much people. on the ocean. It was an old logging town. It's creepy. It's dark. It's, it sounds boring. It's, it, I would do heroin too. It's interesting Just, if you can uh, make depressed. it interesting. No it's internet. like, okay, so it's like, imagine the best beach day, right? Imagine you're going to the beach, got everything, your picnic, food, with whatever. That's like the town. But it's really dark, and it starts to rain. It's like somebody raining on your parade. I'm just thinking oh of that movie, Beneath the Sand. That's what every day in Aberdeen is. Somebody Jones raining on your parade. Depressing. <laughs> ugh, ugh. Uh, so let's get into a little bit of the uh, like production work, because we were talking about Steve Albini. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe some people don't know this, but he comes from a band called Big Black. Have you guys ever heard Big Black before? Mm-hmm. It is very grunge industrial. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way of putting it. It's a bubble service kind of like dived into those areas a little bit too, but there's a lot of drum machine work and it's just real noisy guitar. I say it's like noise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Uh, He, he didn't like it too much. He was like, I'm not that good of a musician. Hence why he became like an engineer producer, whatever. But I fucking love Big Black, and Steve Albini is known for one of those uh, people that are like uh, super iconic in kind of, how you would say, like you were saying, Chris, like this underground scene, you know, mm-hmm. like got he's like cred. OG, yeah. he got the cred, you know, like he, again, like we were saying, he took like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, instead of taking like actual royalty Half credits, yeah, which is, you know, that's it's, I don't want to say it's like that's what makes him so underground or <laughs> that's what makes him so, no, it's um, 
it's just that's a, that's where he's coming from. That's yeah. how he works in the music industry because it's still kind of corrupt at this time. His you know, this outlook. is still a really bad time for bands and they're getting held to like standards and it's just you know like how movies are made nirvana fucking studios interference it could ruin everything his outlook is exactly like that when it comes to his recording too it's very like like um bear punk rock you know that's the difference between this and Nevermind, where butch vig is like overproducing it you know what i mean and then you have yeah this where it's like Kind almost get, underproduced because and that's kind of where you get all the like controversy and like mix up with like different mixes and mastering and it's it, part of the the process of actually recording it how it was done so quickly and like mastered so quickly you know yeah kind of left a lot of uh some people may have felt uncertain about it I, I like the feedback. I like the rawness in it. Like a lot of stuff that was captured of probably him just plugging in the guitar and turning it on, getting it ready, was already hit. He already hit record. You know, they're picking up everything that was just done right there. Probably these are. I, I'm sure you. A lot of these are first takes. You know what I mean? To these songs, especially like something like Variation. Well, they were doing I'm, all those. I'm sure that's a first. They take. had you know all the instrumentals done. As far as like they brought them over. They like redid a lot of stuff, of course, uh, with Steve. <clears throat> Pretty much, yeah, did start from scratch. But uh, when they got to the recording studio, which was Pachyderm Studios in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So they, they go out there for this recording session, and it's like apparently Chris uh, said it was like hell. It was like a gulag because it was snowing. It was just horrible conditions outside. And you couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. It was one of those trapped kind of recording situations. And uh, they were gonna, supposed to start working on it in the summer of 92, but they couldn't because of uh, all the band members lived in different cities. And then uh, Courtney was expecting and, you know, just a lot of, like, life stuff. So This is after I should mention that they did grow up in Aberdeen, but they moved to different areas around um, Olympia and Tacoma and Seattle, which is can be an hour in between mm. each other because uh before uh this is the last album you know what i mean this is the very last album yeah. seven months later mm-hmm. is uh, the tragic event you know um mm. the suicide the murder what have you but uh, uh like you were saying there's um a lot of courtney interference and static wait, before and we go into that i do the other band i do want to mention well, you know what i mean in keeping with like this like noisy kind of punk sound when they uh, went on tour after they released this album. They had um, Pat Smear of the Germs go on tour with them as a second guitarist. Yeah, he, which he's there in the Foo Fighters all the time now too, and you'll see him in a lot of Nirvana is stuff, awesome especially off for of the Utah. for that yeah. noisy punk crazy sound that they create. Just have, I forgot have him that he along. wasn't on the album. He's like on. No, he's he in toured. Western Decline. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's in yeah. one. Western yeah. Decline. When he's like not even in a band yet, he's just like a fan. He's just, he's just that like, kid. You knew he was gonna like be famous one day. Yeah. See, I mean, so, <clears throat> so back to the release. Geffen wanted it out by like '92 holiday season, mm-hmm. but because of all this, you know, because of all this, they uh, they got to work real slowly, and they instead put out Incesticide as sort of like a in between. Right, not even yeah. counted as a real album. Yeah, yeah not. Um, so they. A bunch of covers. 
they actually start recording um, a little late because all their equipment was late arriving. So it was like three, three, five days or something like that. It was late to the studio. So they're sitting here at the studio. Well, we're already fucking, yeah, shit is already going yeah, wrong, right? You're there. It's also the first time that I'm Steve sure met the band. He, he never met the band up until that point. He only talked to him over the phone about what they wanted the album to sound like. What are you going for? Okay. This is the first time they're interacting. Their equipment's not there. We need to be recording. We're already late on the album from the record company. It's just all this kind of shit's adding up, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, they get all the equipment. And, again, Steve's, like, a real simple... Simple when it comes to, like, some aspects of the production. Dave Gold's drum set was apparently mic'd with about 30, 30 microphones. Holy shit. To capture... And if you listen, Scentless Apprentice, the doo, 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 that classic drum sound was got that because he's miking the walls. He's getting them. He wanted the, the walls. He wants the sound of the reverb reverberating. He wants the it's natural like sound. All the sound. He'd also go and take the, the drums. drums sound insane on this album. He'd put them in the kitchen and record them to get uh, some of that really big reverb sound, natural. So cool. that that was uh, very ape Fucking and Tourette's crazy. were the ones that were done in the kitchen. Those very, are my two very favorite ape, there songs. There you go. Yeah, um, I was really conflict Tourette's what? and very ape. And then all the guitar tracks and stuff. They he he basically only did like one pass. A few few of the songs had double guitars. So for like Pat Smear, but I mean he's not on the album. But these are the parts that he would be playing live. Yeah. is these doubled guitar parts that mm. Kurt's doing. Um, and then he didn't double much of his vocals. Steve did not like doubling vocals, which Butch was the complete opposite. That's why you have double... 50 tracks, That's right? why you have, like, big presence on Nevermind when it comes to, like... Right. Or, of, like, later Foo Fighter albums, you know? The vocals are always very loud, and Butch Big, you know, does... Yeah. All so he's probably doubling them and stuff like that, yeah. whereas Steve's, like, not doing that it's it's very punk rock you hear a lot of he's cracking he's not trying to get you know um he also said like when it came to re-recording performances that was all up to kurt because they were kind of the producers steve even though he was like a producer doesn't like to interfere he doesn't it's like unless you ask him to he's just gonna sit back there behind the board and try to capture you if kurt says it needs to be re-recorded i'm gonna trust him because he knows what he wants to get he wrote the song yeah so most of the performances were dictated by the band and sort of that and and then that's that's kind of the end of uh steve's job because then he uh well he then mixed it over five days so they record it in what is it what was the time it was like two weeks i saw that i was like two weeks yeah from february 12th that one out 12th to the 26th they record this whole album and then he mixes it in five days and the band's like, what in the hell? Jesus. You know what I mean? But that's the way Steve works. He mixes, like, like he works. Again, yeah. Like, it's super, like. Not doing a whole lot. I'm sure it's just whatever was there yeah. in the room at the time. He's trying to capture it the first go around. They're just and like. trying to fix it. I'm amazed post, at the amount you know? of stuff that they're like sound good slamming before out. even got to yeah. the mix. Because they have, I mean, let's think about it. Like, they were really only ran for, it was seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's Seven what's amazing. Yeah. Whenever they hit the studio, towards they, the end, like you all have the a great things, drummer like Dave Roll, like so they're gonna fly through. Like right after that, you have their 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 tour with the Breeders and mm-hmm. Half Japanese, where I said earlier, Pat Smear goes on tour with them, and then you have, uh, they perform on SNL, 
the next month they do MTV Unplugged, and then they have their European tour. The SNL one was a very controversial uh, yeah. SNL performance. Wow. Because they said they couldn't play Rape Me and they did it or something, or a lyric was supposed to be taken out, like some stupid shit. Hey, Jack, what's going on? <laughs> uh, Jack. This is dog interfering Jack, right now. Jack, hey, Jack. Um, so, so yeah, the last little bit, Steve had to control some fun facts about what happened with Steve is during that whole mixing process, uh, if they were like not satisfied or kind of running into a brick wall sort of things, they would, um, they would spend the rest of the day off and watch nature videos, set things on fire and make prank phone calls and you know, just relax. horse around horse and, and around. Kurt's vocal. They're, they're in their twenties. Come on. All no. of Kurt's vocals were done in six hours. So I mean, damn Kurt. I don't know if that it is definitely not in one session, but you're like nailing all of these in hour sessions or something like that over the six days that they took to record it. I mean, Jesus, I don't know. It was, it was just, it's a great album. And when you put it in the context of how quickly it was done, it then becomes, like, it blows my mind a little bit. Yeah. But, and then that's where you Imagine have being that aged of a band, you know, like, like super, like been playing together for 10 years. It's, no, it's not even that. You know? No, they just knew what they wanted and did so it, slammed it out. That was the that was Steve's contribution when it came to the the recording and stuff. But then that's where his he he kind of leaves, and then the album gets kind of tossed around. You know, Gold Mountain is their uh, publisher as far as Nirvana. It's like their management sort of a thing, um, and so. What happens is they, they sent them to Geffen, they sent them to Gold Mountain, they're listening to them, they're like, This isn't this isn't, you know, acceptable. We need to <laughs> we need to like have it a little bit more What the fuck am I listening know? to? Even Kurt even Kurt so didn't like feedback. it. The first week he listened to it, he like couldn't listen to it. It's like I d I don't know, I don't I think I'm you know, he's just doubting I don't like most it. of my recordings. Yeah. And so you know, he was like, you want me to go re record the whole thing? Like, I'm about to go do that. Like I'm about I'm just fed up with all this shit. They take it to um, they take it to a few different people to like touch it and stuff. And this one this one person, Bob Ludwig in Portland, Maine, he's a mastering guy, and he's mastered pretty much all of rock and roll. Queen, I mean, Zepp, we're talking everything that's been mastered. He has. He's one of those five guys that yeah. have recorded every single fucking band, and so he takes it. Yeah, yeah. Gold, platinum CD. That's Fuck, man. He takes it, and Kurt's still not happy with it. He's like, it's it's getting there, but it's still not happy with it. This is also um, right before we get to Scott. You know, the things aren't getting mixed. This is just still mastering, right? We're still dealing with Steve's mix. We then get to a conflict where they want to just remix it, and this is where Steve is kind of adamant. He doesn't like his shit to be touched. You know what I mean? And so you he wanted to work with Steve Albini. You get what Steve Albini does. Yeah. So he you did like Steve Albini shit. Go wasn't going to hand over the masters. Yeah. He had them. Oh, ma- really? Yeah. He wasn't going to hand them over. Yeah. So Chris had to call him, convince him to do it. We get because you know Chris Novus Hell is a really nice guy. Dave Grohl is a really nice guy. No. Yeah. You get Scott and Andy who Scott did Litt. Scott not Litt. this Scott. Scott not this Scott. Not this Scott. You get Scott, Scott Litt, Litt and Litt. Andy Wallace who you'd mentioned Definitely earlier. And yeah, Andy Wallace. They they re- remix some tracks too, so it's like it's a little bit of everybody. Everybody's touching it here and there. They're still like, 
you know, some traces of Steve. Overall, at the very end of the day, when Steve listened to it, he was like, you know, it's it doesn't sound like what we did. It sounds like the band. I mean, it, you know, it tributes like the songs are still there. It still sounds like the band, but it's not what they did. It's not the six days. You know what I mean? It was touched by all these other people to make it more. So what is like Steve's mix? Is it not even the original released album? No. Not at all? No. He recorded it. He recorded them. it, but his okay. mix is not there anymore. At all? Maybe some slight traces, maybe some songs. Is, is the 2013 remix that Steve Albini mix, or is that just another, another remix? That is another remix for... How many yeah. are there? I swear I counted like five. Yeah, there's a lot. You have, yeah. you have the, yes, the Albini, the Scott Litt mix... There's the 2013 remix. There's the whatever. Um, yeah, I've lost tra- the Andy Wallace <laughs> mix. Track. Andy Wallace mixes. I yeah. mean, there's- what else did he do? We just talked about him. Andy uh, Wallace said he did. The, he worked with Slayer. That's who I was working with. Slayer, yeah. obviously, you're gonna be in touch with fucking. Um, well, they wanted a heavier sound. They weren't happy with the bass. Is what they were talking about. That's when he got brought in, right? Yeah, so I think Andy time. Wallace yeah. worked on. The at the drive-in album, I believe. Hmm. I think he was the other producer engineer at that studio that was just falling apart with famous new metal producer Rick Spring. Spring. God. See, when you learn new information, you push out the old <laughs> shit. That's what's happening. To <laughs> yeah, he, this Andy Wallace. Yes, he's got his claim and rock also working with rick rubin on walk this way okay that's what i'm talking about yeah, he so. was always next yeah. to he's rubin, just yeah. so he's one of those guys that touched you know half of or just a quarter of so all of rock you, you can album. see the album got it had good intentions when it came to this underground sort of like thought process but then because of the powers that be and just maybe your own creative necessity. You're right. like, this doesn't sound as good as never mind. Well, they're passing around to some really talented people at least, you know? That people that have like done really awesome yeah. work in the past. It's not just some one off bozo. It's like they're taking it to try to get this sound. I guess they're trying to find the sound that they were looking for. Yeah, and it ended up coming out like they wanted a very specific sound and that's what they're that's why they're so, so well known is it's the mix that we all know. The mix that we know is was, a bunch of is basically Scott Litt <laughs> taking bits of steve's mix and changing things you know what i'm saying it's like these there's bits and pieces still left okay um so uh, the mix that we were hearing was uh the andy wallace scott lit touched uh steve albini tracks if that makes sense yeah no i I totally get what you're going for and then after that then andy wallace like kind of spruced up a few things here and there as well, well he he did certain songs that's the thing is like oh, they just they okay. kind of passed certain songs so like andy did like penny royalty you know what i mean like they each would do and even if you go on to the box set or not the but the super deluxe it mm. you do see like only some songs are mixed by this person you only get like penny royalty and let me see it, it is on the super deluxe of the album that came out there's so many different releases yeah, and it's it's the 20th. On, it's on that first disc. You have Penny Royalty, the Scott Lit mix, Heart Shaped Box, Steve Albini mix, and then All Apologies, Steve Albini mix. So you you can kind of go back and reference, listen to the original mm. album, 
go back listen to these other mixes didn't even know that yeah so i really want to dive in and just listen to these songs uh, the steve albini way you know and, and i don't know who did the 2013 like. one that's probably a more modern mix engineer you know what i mean so it came i don't know out. why they fucking need to do that yeah. with this album especially if it sounds fine no what are we adjusting to new technology of headphones like what the fuck are you talking yeah. about we have yeah. like perfected the way we make vinyl like what i don't understand but um just to re-release, make, uh, make some more money. You know, I'm not sure who owns Kurt's estate at this point. So... But I know the band Courtney, I just talking So, I don't know if she owns all... I know she owns most of it. She was talking about... So, that's, I was talking to Chris earlier about it. She was talking about selling 25% of the song rights in 2006. Yeah, which is... Which was $50 million. Yeah. Just twenty five percent of the song rights. I think that she still has most of the, of the rights to his estate. This she is was, a woman that had a plan. She was in charge of his estate, and that's where the whole thing is. And I know that we were maybe planning on talking about this about the. They started a, a Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic started an LLC with Courtney Love, and um, then she went back on it and said that uh, she sued them, and said that it was really Kirk Cobain who did everything and that they were just the majority of it, that they yeah. were that they were actually just side men which is terrible that's sad i don't just believe hired that. guns and um, could have done what they did right and then they countersued and asked the judge to appoint somebody else in charge of his estate and then like they reached a settlement uh, there's no like real information on how they reached a settlement mm-hmm. i couldn't find anything but we know this because of the box set release and uh, well, yeah that's what yeah, it, yeah. And the, being pissed off about like all these it, w- it was scheduled to be of, released like, and, like, and then they, it wasn't the because of well. that yeah yeah in 2001 it was yeah. yeah it was also like courtney that like when they first started it was a uh, split three ways you know what i mean like nevermind when they wrote uh, signed that nevermind deal three way split and then Kind of, you can see Courtney because, you know, Hole's kind of successful at this point. And um, just, uh, she definitely had a plan. You know, she saw, like, what Nirvana was going to be and how big Kurt was going to be and kind of wanted a piece of that, you know what I mean? So kind of getting him to ask for more money because he wrote the songs and it caused a lot of conflict in the band, hence why they probably weren't hanging out so much before even recording this album, you know? It's like already a lot of conflict with him and his old lady, if you will. <laughs> so it was, it was a very toxic uh, relationship that they had, and it kind of We fucked. all know it, the story. Yeah, it's happened time and time again in we rock and roll. Yeah, and we all know the story. But a lot of this album has to do with everything that's going on at the time. These songs and the lyrics in there, you know what I mean? Like, um, there's some... Yeah. Well, it's funny, as I was saying references. earlier, after the settlement re- uh, was reached, uh, a song that was released was the You Know You're Right song, which is the last song that Kurt Cobain wrote. It's just funny because it's called You Know You're Right. It's, yeah, a coincidence? <laughs> hmm, I think not. Watch the documentaries. <laughs> what really happened? Oh, my God. Uh, that's not what we really wanted to talk about no, today too much. We're not. We really wanted mm-hmm. to focus on this album and because we just love this album and how it makes us feel even though like there's a lot of like truth that is on this album like uh, things that he talks about about his life uh being a father the substance abuse uh fighting with your bandmates you know you, it's all kind of there and um 
it's it's so learning about that and like the what actually happened you kind of get a better perspective of this album and what it sounds like it sounds different now you know what i mean mm-hmm. knowing these things and being like ah it's more like it's more personal more on the nose uh, yeah. it, it makes me love the album a little bit more and this is one of those albums that just flows well, especially like, listening so to well. it as like an adult now whereas you know everybody i feel like when do, do we even discuss when did you guys get into nirvana shit <laughs> we didn't even oh, say super that. early yeah okay yeah. so we can all I mean, agree we're probably teenagers just, yeah. early t- 12 mm-hmm. 13 whatever okay so now you not like it now listening you? to it as an adult and realizing all of those things like the gravity of that situation you know i've never been through that where i was like a famous rock star and addicted to drugs or anything like that but like just listening to it as a kid and kind of like understanding it to now really being like oh okay it's more tangible no, for sure. Oh, I'm not the one that left my phone on today. That was Chris, everyone. Terrible. Ter- we're terrible. Oh, You're it's, bad at it's a message <laughs> about the floods. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. It's yeah. an emergency text that came through. It, down down here in the Texas, there are floods. It happened pretty quick, all right? That's not funny. <laughs> That's not funny. Go back to Washington. Hey. We're there's lots of rain, rain, but we don't have to worry about floods. There's an ocean. It's just sad and full of heroin. Oh, a flood of heroin. <laughs> a flood of heat. A flood of the, the China white. No, not really. Yeah. Black tar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, you were saying there was like... Um, oh, was that your fun fact about how the drums were recorded? Was all those mics on it? Or? All the mics, the 30 mics, and like, yeah. I thought Dave Grohl just went in there and was like, check this out, and just like... No, recording it in the... It sounds heavy. In the kitchen shit, yeah. Um, And they kept... They basically, again, were self-dictating it. So, you know, as far as Dave performance and parts, it's like... He dictated himself? Well, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, as far as Steve's not telling you to... Maybe this should go this way or something. You know what I mean? He's oh, not, not giving you a lot of directions. Yeah, he's just not leaving it up to you and yeah. you not being that sure about mm-hmm. yourself as being a musician because you know you've only been doing this for how long at this point? Six years with this particular band. Not a very long time. No, not a very long time at all to be a band and blow up that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, you're talking about Dave Grohl because he I'm talking about Nirvana. Altered. Okay, I was gonna say he he started I mean, in 1990, yeah, he, so he was oh, really he only there for a couple of years. True, that too. Yeah, let's yeah. point that out that, real yeah. quick. He was, he started in And that was because um, somebody from the Melvins introduced Dave Grohl to... Buzz. Buzz. Boom! Or like uh, yeah. Dale Crover, uh, whatever, dude. Yeah. Um, which, the Melvins is a fucking amazing band, and I can't yeah. wait to get to get one, one of those albums. Because, yeah. uh, man, that sucks, because everyone's like, the Melvins, and... Everyone kind of hates that. Well, the Melvins kind of hate it because they get it from Nirvana. Because one of Kurt's favorite bands was uh, the Melvins. Well, he so produced... Yeah. What is it? They were friends. They practiced with them. They had the same yeah. practice. He base. produced one of their albums. He was, like, listed as producer. I think uh, it was on... Leech? N- no. No, he produced a Melvins album. Kurt, oh, right, Kurt yeah. I remember that story, but he was, like so like nervous and like to he didn't even do it right someone else came in i don't know but i know he's I know credited the story was just like he was he wanted to do it but uh he was just kind of too high on heroin to get uh, shit done and like, that's he just paid buzz for was it like what the fuck yeah and buzz was like made the decision to have someone else come in and do it oh 
Well, Aaron won't do that to you. We still listed on Let's the... point out, he did get clean for a while. Okay, let's point out one other thing, because I, I always make he this joke. He wasn't always a right. sh- shitty drug addict. I always make this joke that, like, <laughs> oh, like, doing heroin obviously must be good for musicians, because they these people write really good songs. No, it's like, not. Let's say heroin. that it's... No, it's not. No, these people no. are geniuses, and... One of those things is being having this mind that like maybe your head races around, you have all these like weird thoughts or whatever. You use drugs to slow things down and try to focus things into like a, a song or something like that. Like drugs help you control just crazy because let's okay. he, Kurt Cobain asshole, but he was a very he was a genius person when it comes to writing a song. Like these are all very like it wasn't the heroin that helped him helped him write. No, the songs. these people were already talented creatively and they thought that that could be a good way of dealing with all the shit that is going that's on that's what i said head. that's exactly but, uh, but that's not a good way to promote it like you can't just like no heroin no, is not a drug no. where you're like i'm gonna take it no. on the weekends no that's Smoke not weed you drink alcohol <laughs> everyone has their vices if you're ted nugent it's women you know what i mean okay or you get clean and it becomes golf and like eating well. Hey, but okay, let's point know, this out. Everybody sa- let me point this out really quick. Everybody says that like, oh Everyone man, that artist got clean and they stopped doing drugs and that's where their album sounds like this. No, Kurt Cobain got clean and made this album. I don't know about that. <clears throat> I, don't, I never believe a heroin addict that was like, Well, maybe not clean. off of everything. <laughs> he was prescribed or hypnol, which is a whole different thing. But so like, he was prescribed the date rape drug, yeah. and that's supposed to help with the But heroin? I'm just saying he got clean off of heroin. Um, you can't just dabble in it. It's not... You can't go back and forth. It said, like, uh, an addiction like that was uh, up to, like, $400 a day. Like, yeah, well, he had the money at that time. I don't time. know if that's, like... That seems like a lot of heroin to be injecting <laughs> seems like a lot of anything if i was drinking 400 dollars worth of alcohol a day i'd be dead in a week in a day yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I have to drink real high end shit to like break that fucking 400 dollars market yeah might have been yeah, a good r- scotch finish the whole bottle but um let's get to another know. tune uh what song were we gonna do we're gonna do on the a sides Ooh. a bria pig and penny royal um, time with everyone I have very bad posture
Even though that's like one of the unplugged songs and it's kind of a very softer Nirvana song, it's one of the softer ones on the album. Um, it ends like heavier than all hell. Uh, Dave Grohl cannot control himself as a drummer. You know, <laughs> like many of stories where it's just like, hey, uh, that was good and all, but can you like this time, it's a little softer when you play. It's softer? <laughs> like, I, I get it. I'm a drummer. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? This is how drums are you can't supposed to drums. sound. It's a soft song, but this he's is how I playing at like a maximum velocity type thing. His arms always go past the head. Uh, just he, he destroys as a drummer. I've seen him play a couple of times drums, and yeah, he goes hard. Mm -hmm. he goes real hard. Um, even love the not just to like just talk about Dave Grohl so much because I'm one of those guys. Um, Chris Novoselic, what a fucking fantastic fucking dude. Um, those bass lines are always great, you know what I mean? He didn't really go off and do like many of other projects after this, I think one other, and then into politics and stuff like that. I know he owns a plane, he flies planes. And I know he's like running mayor of some town or something like that, yeah. city council. I don't yeah. remember, I should know. But it's somewhere yeah, south of Seattle. Still just <laughs> still a fucking genuine guy, you know what I mean? Um Dave Grohl is like a giant. We we know where Dave Grohl went. Yeah. Foo Fighters, fucking known for... Uh, dude, I can't wait to get into the whole uh, ProBot. You actually, Marigold, which was during these sessions recorded, you know, they did that song during these sessions. It's right. on the, the album, B-Sides. That, uh, that's Dave singing, and you kind of hear that early Foo Fighters in that song. Right, he sung the majority of that song, I, I believe. I believe. I think he yeah. wrote it. I think it's like his song. The fucking fantastic yeah. guitar player, singer, drummer just all around and a good to be a part of Nirvana it, he added a lot to it because again he was just in it I believe 10 months before the Nevermind or something like that a really short period before Nevermind came and then you know what recording Incest Society in between these two mm. and um, yeah he's just a talented guy from the get go and he's just hammering fucking drum licks out just <sighs> beat after beat I fucking absolutely love the way he plays on this. It 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 it's what Nirvana needed, you know? Chad whatever for Bleach. Yeah, it's fine. It's a great album, Bleach. I like a lot of songs, but it doesn't have the energy as Dave Grohl. I, I like hearing them play those songs live from Bleach because Dave Grohl will play the drums just heavier, faster, you know, just it's more of his style and I enjoy his style a lot more than a lot of fucking drummers, you know what I mean? He's one of my influences. It's the songs that were easy for me to pick up when I was first starting to play drums, 
even though like there's some parts in there that it's still like very hard and complicated where like drum fills that I couldn't do at the time but it was still a good entry into like learning how to play. I'm sure you, Chris, have learned a ton of Nirvana songs. We've played them together. Yeah, it's like one of yeah. the first bands you learn music from. I think, uh, kind of thing. yeah, Radio Friendly Shifter User or User Shifter. Um, <laughs> fuck. We, we played that song a couple of times. Yeah. Um, that's a fun song. You know, I love playing those songs, the B-sides, especially when it comes to Nirvana. Hey, I was saying a couple Nirvana songs for karaoke. Thank you. But you're from Washington. <laughs> I think you have to. It is. It's like a requirement you if you like go do karaoke. karaoke. That's when you go to the jukebox there. That's no. all there is. No, that's in the line at the DMV. You have to like a Seriously, lease every know how to sing two in Washington, Nirvana songs it's like to get your driver's license. Over a page of just every album. Just, yeah. <laughs> Flipping it. Oh my god. Heart shaped <laughs> box Don't every time. All the B sides. Which is alcohol. That can't be well, a good karaoke song. That's also this album is a good if you're a karaoke fan. This has a lot. As I said, the number one instrument. The number one song oh, for, for Nirvana for singing it is Heart Shaped Box. Rate me. Well, this, rate me in Heart Shaped Box. This Whoa. deluxe karaoke. edition has like just the instrumental <sighs> tracks, and it's hey. very interesting to go back and listen to like Very Ape. I think there's a instrumental of just that, and that's you know. I gotta I gotta listen to that. I didn't. This is the less, the least amount of research I've done for any episode. Is because I've done all this research before. We've read all the books. I've already went through all this with everyone. I've talked about this album to great length back in the day, being smoking horrible dirt weed and sipping on ugh, skull vodka, you know, what I mean? <laughs> the drugs. and being We're not these depressed high drugs. school kids. <laughs> Again, not advocating drinking or doing drugs, but uh, I didn't really need to, you know, do a lot of research. I already know so much, but. Then you coming over today and was like, did you know there's all these different mixes? And I'm like, oh, well, I should have done my research. That, that, now I know. Well, I know. it's a little confusing, to too. To there's there. like, if you go, if you have a streaming service and you try and look up the album, there's like four different editions. You have your regular one. You have your super deluxe. You got your regular deluxe. Like, it's, it can be confusing mm -hmm. when you go and try and find like the album and good things to listen to from it. If you if you're a first listener and you jump yeah, into super that's what deluxe, I was say. You're, you don't know. You, you don't, don't know where you are. You just start from the beginning, people. Press track one. And a lot let of people roll. don't do that now. Yeah. A lot of people look at no, Spotify just, or whatever. The and first like, song is right. a good song. You know what I mean? It's a great no, song. it's not that it. Yeah, of course, it's, it's, it's a good song. Yeah. It's just you don't. Sometimes you get lost in a catalog. In the context, like yeah. But I I strongly suggest to anyone out there just. Start the album from the get go. Don't don't jump around. Don't Which try also to find is a good point because there's only four like, albums know. by them. You don't know. Be patient. Like main ones. I mean, yeah. three. Bleach. Oh, sorry, there's three main there's ones, three. but if, if you don't count Incest Aside, yeah. But no, that's what's three. funny is we're talking Bleach, about getting lost uh, in a catalog of three albums. Then, yeah, it's not even that hard. It's not a lot to go off. It's, of. But it's not like other bands who have like twenty albums. Yeah, that would but be you know. You would always just out of like. A band like, but some same this band is so like, famous and they only have the three main to. albums. Yeah, that's yeah. what my point is. Everyone knows who Nirvana is, though. <laughs> Nirvana. People in Washington still pronounce it Nirvana, by the way. I don't think there's anyone out there that really doesn't know who Nirvana is. Uh, you can ask. I'm sure this is one of those bands you can ask like people off the streets that are like fucking young kids letting out of high school. You know who Nirvana is? Yeah, sure. Fuck go yeah, to go to do. a high school nowadays, and you'll still see kids wearing Nirvana shirts, Kurt Cobain shirts, and stuff. So. For sure, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? It's something that's. I have again, one it's somewhere. Not, I guess it's not that old, but it is pretty old at this point. You know, like we're talking like 30 years of that music being around mm -hmm. and um, still being irrelevant today. 
I th- again, I really just think that we need our own rock and roll scene. Mm-hmm. And that's why people keep digging into the past because we don't have anything nowadays for just that. We have a lot of different styles of music right now, but nothing that's like a rock and roll band we need. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That rock and roll band that changes everything. It'll come with time. Everything does. Um, that's how this happened. It wasn't like a preconceived notion. It yeah. was something that just fucking happened. And, you know, we get into a little bit of the, the ending of the yeah. story. After the album's done... Kind of, yeah. So uh, they go on a European tour, as most bands do. As soon as you're done recording, they're, the they're album. first and last. Yeah, um, their last show was in Munich. Uh, they go to Rome, and shortly after they land in Rome, Kurt Cobain parties too hard on champagne and his prescribed prescribed roofies and all the bio found unconscious. Yeah. Love finds him unconscious. Uh, they fly back to Seattle. Uh, Kurt takes up heroin again. Goes to rehab. One does. Checks himself out of rehab. Week later, dies. I'm not gonna say kills himself. We don't know. Sure, mm-hmm. killed himself. The mystery. The yeah, the mystery. Yeah, they're... yeah, but yeah, that's what that's that's the end of it. That's when he. And that that's the end of my headphones. <laughs> you just smack them off. Well, I guess it's over then. Yeah. Slam it down. I guess it's just to end it on a no. fucking depressing note. Thanks, Bria. Sorry, Kurt Please shot himself. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, in the head, in the face, shotgun. And then what happens to the album? It's at seventy-two on Billboard. Jumps up to like twenty-one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Still the, not in, at number one. The no, seven. when it was released, it was number one. Really. Yeah, when it was released, it was number one. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. cool. But that that would then I get that's when the legacy I guess kind of starts, and then you see you know this album being released so close to his death. Yeah, and how kind of like the yeah. last material sort of a thing. Of course, it's like a Heath Ledger playing of, the Joker. Yeah, yeah, or some you know his his last. <laughs> you you go and you see his last movies, or you buy his last thing just to like get that last little bit yeah it's like support can say like way. you listen to this album you can hear his like spin into madness and mm-hmm. why he did this you know what i mean but again i'm not really too sure on that a lot of these songs on here are just like too fun to be like this thing that's like oh uh this is a suicide letter in some ways and i don't i don't really see that i just see like him talking about real life problems and real life situations and that's what songwriters write about it's stuff that's happening to them what they know is that familiar mm-hmm. and that's everyone that's anything but you know again there's a story now a, a story that's still being told all the time about Kurt and Courtney you know what I mean and how the band sits in the background and watches all of this shit happen mm-hmm. and um, it's still like there's documentaries on HBO you know what I mean uh, we had a what was it heavier than heaven is a, book. a good depiction you want my opinion? I would just listen again, uh, promoting one of my favorite podcasts, the last podcast on the left. Um, they did a Kurt Cobain episode, and you know, they're they're great about taking all the facts and kind of putting it all together to kind of see like maybe this is how it was kind of worked. Like, uh, go watch Soaked in Bleach though. Go watch Soaked in Bleach. That's one of the best. I like. I've seen. I also like uh, Last Days. I feel like yeah, because Gus no one knows what happens days. in that last week. Last he was there, and this is kind of like a make em ups of like maybe this is how it happened. And I'm like, dude, that's. I feel like that's exactly how this fucking happened, you know? Like, those were his last days in the house. Like, you can kind of guess in some ways when you put together the stories, you, know, you can start put, 
finding the uh, missing pieces a little bit here and there because mm-hmm. of the context of what happened after. We've had so much time now to let things filter and air out and more things to happen in our eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, uh, go find something that is not, like there's a lot of books out there that are just shit and documentaries that really just, like the one on HBO, I wouldn't really suggest because it was... Is that the animated made, one? I don't, I'm not sure. It's It was made by um, Courtney Love. Uh, she reached out to the director to do this thing, and it, it, the documentary makes her out to be a fucking hero mm. in some ways. And no, again, it's just all these stories keep getting mixed up because, again, Courtney... <laughs> Courtney Love is alive and still trying to manipulate and hold this Owns fucking the estate, franchise. Right? Let's not get it. Yeah. It's because she's it's, definitely coming after us on this episode for hopefully, sure. Ho- hopefully, just with I'm more time, it out. we, get, we no. get more. No, we're not. No, we're not. Think she'll beat me in a fist fight? No. Yes, actually. Hopefully, with more time <laughs> right. and the yeah. passing of Courtney Love, and it goes on to Francis and just whatever. And you know, she, I know she's having her own sort of life. growing of life type of a thing experiences yeah. right now, but. Um, I think in the future, just how we've had more songs surface, like from this album, you get a super deluxe 20 years later. Ooh, listen to like, I Hate Myself on a Imagine That's a great song. 30 for the 30 or the 40th what anniversary. Like, what new songs can they uncover? You know, what are we going to get next? Because that was a big, the big fun of Nirvana, at least growing up, was finding new shit that would just pop up because they the were so prolific. Yeah. Even though they did have the three albums, like you say, so no, yeah. many recordings that, that's, just like. Of just yeah, random noise still just or different just things coming. Jams, out. Yeah. Like they have songs called jams because they're just fucking around. We get that with a lot of uh, our artists that were gone or took, taken from us too soon. Um, and going back, and there's always that Jimi Hendrix, you know, release. There's these hidden door songs. There's Queen tracks that no one's ever heard. Uh, the Randy Rhodes thing, as we were talking about with the Aussie, uh, bringing back a lot of those tracks uh, that were just lost in some yeah. ways because we didn't have Randy Rhodes for a long time either. So it's good to hey, hear, you know, to the future, to the future. Yeah. Um, again, just uh, what makes a fucking musician nowadays, especially all the bands that we loved and they're still around. They don't do drugs anymore. They don't drink every night. They work out, they eat right, they exercise. And that's how you get ready to go on tour. <laughs> Let's and end the, it on that y- note. Y- yes. Yeah. It's you want to be the show to the there. show. And yeah. I yeah. want to see one of my favorite bands. I want to see my, why I came to the show. Like, for my, for the band to perform at its best, you know what I mean. Yeah. And being fucked up on heroin, I don't see how you can possibly be that good at playing, at all. You know? No. 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 You're no. nodding off in the middle of the stage. Not a good no. look. No. no. Not a good look. But um, again, if you just jumped around on this album, you haven't really heard this entire album. Just start this. Start it from the beginning. Yeah. And, and just listen to I the regular plain Jane one at for first. For listening to an album in its entirety. In its original form, or yeah. just how it was yeah, released. Just like you don't have to go super released, deluxe, all right? Yeah. And then going into the all the Digging extras. Deeper, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what's the last song that we're gonna do, Chris? We're gonna do Radio Friendly Unit Shifter, and uh, we're gonna thank everybody for watching and subscribe and, and listening. like, follow Click, us, follow, listen to past episodes, tell us what we're so doing many. wrong, yeah. tell us what we're doing right. Yeah, I feel like every All album we've talked about has been an amazing album. Yeah, even we've been lucky in getting some of like our favorite bands' best albums, and this just happens to come out at this time. It's like, oh well, we yeah. always get the hits. But September, you know, uh, bouncing month. off satellites, uh, B fifty twos is yeah. a great example of something that was, you know, 
not well a B-side acclaimed. Album. Yeah, B-album. A, a whole fucking but, B album. But you know, those are just as you just know, as good. So. Mm-hmm. Let's get radio friendly up in here. Thank you. 